Don't be fooled by the shortness of today's scripture. It is power-packed. And on this first Sunday of a brand new year, 2022, I think God wants us to take an inventory of our lives and see whether or not we are really fulfilling this incredible mandate to be the salt of the earth. But notice there's also a stern warning about being the salt of the earth. Listen for the word of God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we didn't come to hear a human voice or a human word or a human opinion, but we came to hear your word. And so out of this short scripture today, O oh God, please teach us an important spiritual life-changing truth about what it means to be the salt of the earth and what dangers we can bring upon the earth if we're not the salt of the earth. Challenge us, inspire us, speak to us today, O oh God, a word that every child, teenager, and adult who hears this message in person or online needs to hear. We know you will, O oh God, for we pray with anticipation in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If I were to ask you the question, what are some of your most valuable possessions? I wonder what you would say. I think many people, I'm not talking, by the way, about people or about relationships or about pets. I'm talking about physical, material possessions. I think if I would ask you what are your most valuable possessions, you might say your cell phone or your iPhone. You might say your computer. You might say your home or your car or a room in your home or maybe a piece of furniture you saved up to buy. Or maybe you'd even say a, a certain set of clothing or a dress or shoes or a suit. I went to the Masters Golf Tournament a few years ago and I got a Masters Golf shirt with a Masters logo on it and it's a valuable possession for me. Now it's not worth a lot of money particularly but, but it's a valuable possession because it brings back a wonderful memory for me of when our family and friends went to the Masters Golf Tournament. What's a valuable possession for you? Well, believe it or not, if you were there in Jesus' day, if Jesus had asked us this question, Jesus would be saying to us, uh, a valuable possession is salt. Do you know that salt in Jesus' day was one of the most valuable possessions that anybody could ever have? It was more valuable than gold as a medium of exchange or trade between people. If a kings or princes were making a treaty, they would often take a pinch of salt and put it under their tongue as a sign of purity, as a sign of honesty and truth. And what they're saying is, I mean what I say and I say what I mean. But salt was a symbol of purity and truth-telling and making a covenant. Also, Roman soldiers in Jesus' day were paid in salt. Do you know that our English word salary literally means salt money? It's a translation of the Latin word salarium, which literally means salt money. People are paid in salt. It's the origin of the expression, are they worth their salt? In other words, are they worth the money we're paying them? Because salt was money in that day. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth, he was paying his followers a tremendous compliment, but also giving them a tremendous challenge. In other words, I'm counting on you as my followers to have the same importance and value in society 
today as salt has in society. And when he said, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying that I'm counting on you to help our precious world to be all that I meant it to be. So today on this first Sunday of a new year, I'd like to be thinking of an inventory of what it would mean if we really were the salt of the earth and what dangers we could bring if we're not the salt of the earth. There are three things about salt I want you to remember. And I'm going to give you a little quiz at the end of, as we go out the door today to see if you remember these three properties of salt because they're important in society. The first thing salt is, it's a seasoning. Jesus wants us to season life. In that day when Jesus lived, you know, the, the food was pretty bland. Cornmeal and rice and wheat cakes were pretty bland, but they'd often put a little bit of salt on them to spice it up a little bit. But here's the key to salt. You don't want salt to call attention to itself. You don't want to say, oh, oh that meat was really salty. You don't want to say that. Rather, you'd want somebody to say, ooh, that meat had full flavor. You want the salt to unlock the flavor that is locked in the meat. In the same way when Jesus said, you're the flavoring or the seasoning of life, what he's saying is, I want you to bring out the full flavor that is locked in people. I want you to bring out the full flavor in life by encouraging people. You're the salt of the earth. You're to spice up life a little bit. And Jesus put us in jobs and neighborhoods and churches and communities and office buildings to be the seasoning that would season life. We're not called to be thermometers that simply reflect the temperature. We're called to be thermostats that set the temperature. Now, my friend Bill in Atlanta, Georgia, is a salt-of-the-earth person. Bill's a security guard at the office building where my ministry was housed for a dozen years. So I saw Bill almost every day. He's not only the security guard, he was the receptionist. He sat at the main desk in, this, in the office lobby, and as everybody came in the door, he knew every person in the building by name. He knew the company we worked for, what we did for a living. He knew our hobbies. He asked us questions. And he greeted everybody who came in and out of the building by name. It's a great quality for a security guard. He knew who was in the building, who was not in the building. He was aware of everything that was going on. But he had this way of kidding everybody, and he knew everything that was going on. He knew what you liked, what you didn't like. So when I would walk in the door on a Monday morning, he would say, Hey, Dr. T, it's a marvelous Monday. I'd walk in on Tuesday, he'd say, hey, Dr. T, terrific Tuesday. Hey, Dr. T, it's a wonderful Wednesday. Hey, Dr. T, on Thursday, it's going to be a thankful Thursday today. Hey, Dr. T, it's going to be a fantastic Friday. And I felt better about myself just walking in the building. In fact, one Friday, he said to Bill, Jim, I'm kind of sorry we're close tomorrow. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'd like you to wish me a spectacular Saturday. So he said to me, Dr. T, where are you preaching Sunday? I told him the name of the church. Bill came to the church to hear me preach, and after the service, he said, hey, Dr. T, that was a scintillating Sunday today. You know, the guy had a way of seasoning life. Do you know anybody who seasons your life just a little bit and, and makes it a little bit better by giving you a word of encouragement, by knowing your name, by knowing something about you? They just kind of season your life a little bit. Here's the thing, we're not on the face of the earth just to make money or to collect valuable things. We're not on the face of the earth just to get an academic degree. We're on the face of the earth to make a difference. And Jesus doesn't want us to stay in the salt shaker just to be with other Christians. He wants to sprinkle us out in society 
as the salt of the earth, to season life, to encourage people, to unlock the full potential in people by a word of encouragement. Don't you know what it means when someone gives you a word of encouragement? It means everything to us. God wants us to season life and bring out the full flavor in the people around us. The second quality that salt had is salt is a preservative. In the ancient Middle East, when Jesus was alive, uh, 2,000 years ago, obviously there was no refrigeration and no canning. So people used salt as a preservative. If they would kill a carcass of, of beef and meat and they would hang it, you know, mosquitoes and bugs and flies could get on it and ruin it and decay it and spoil it and make it putrefy. So they had to get salt to the meat very quickly. So by, by putting salt, rubbing salt in a carcass of beef, they could actually preserve the beef from spoiling or putrefication without salt the people in the ancient Middle East couldn't have lived. They couldn't have had food to live. It not only was a seasoning, but it was an important preservative that kept that beef from decay. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's also saying, you're to keep my precious world from decaying and spoiling and putrefying. But isn't it true that there's an awful lot of decay in our world today? So often the way, the tone of voice with which we speak to one another, the nightly news and the internet has all these videos about people who are yelling and screaming at one another at, at school board meetings or on airplanes or even in the halls of Congress, people are often screaming at one another. And, and there's not only more violence today in our world, but what concerns me is there's a, a deep feeling about hurting one another's character by calling each other names. And, and many people are very sensitive about the names that they're called, and it's, it's very hurtful to people. So there's a home where I take walks a lot in Claremont, California, and there's a, a black hand and a white hand, or a, at least a dark-complected hand and a Caucasian hand, but the two of them come together to, to form a heart. It's very encouraging to me. And then on that, that sign, it says, Stop Hatred. So my question is, are we the kind of people who encourage hate or allow hate, or do we stop hate? Are we the kind of people who just won't allow people to utter profanity or, or tell off-color jokes? Don't you know people in whose presence you'd never use profanity because they don't do it and they wouldn't allow it? Don't you know people who wouldn't allow you to tell an off-color joke because they don't do it and they wouldn't allow it? What kind of people are we? Do, do we take the high road or do we take the low road? And so often we're in situations where there's some decay that could occur and is occurring. But sometimes we walk away instead of doing what we could do to be the salt of the earth and change the environment. I had a predecessor at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City named Dr. Bryant Kirkland. I wish you could have all known him. He was a, one of the great preachers of the 20th century. It's a big statement, but it's true. And Dr. Kirkland changed the environment wherever he walked into a room, and he always called people to be and do their very best. And I admired that about him. He was a mentor. He taught me preaching at Princeton Seminary. But Dr. Kirkland, in his older years, he, he and his wife, Bernice, moved into a care facility. Bernice sadly had dementia, and it went into full-blown Alzheimer's, and she had to go into a memory care unit near the end of her life. And 
she went into the memory care unit and Brian had a small apartment in the healthcare center and he visited her several times every day. But she was just not herself. And so Bryant visited her and he tried to help her remember some things from their past. And, but he knew everybody in the, in the whole memory care unit. He knew everybody in the health facility. And he walked in one day and Doris, a woman who was two doors down from his wife Bernice in the memory care unit, was having a tug of war with a nurse one night out in the hallway. And Brian had gone to, to tuck Bernice into bed that night. And Doris was having this tug of war with the nurse the nurse wanted her to go to bed, and Doris didn't want to go to bed, and Doris didn't want to take her medication, and the nurse wanted her to take the medication, and they're literally fighting out in the hallway, having a tug of war about whether to go into the room or not, and, and then Doris lets out this barrage of profanity that it's a wonder that the flowers didn't wilt in the, in the care facility. There was this barrage of swear words, and, and Brian at this point was walking right into the situation, and he thought to himself, what am I going to do? He had on a coat and a tie, and he'd just come from a, a gathering where he was dressed up, and he went over to Doris. He knew her very well, and instead of saying anything about the swearing or about the tug of war, he just went up to her and ex extended his arm and just said to Doris, may I escort you? And she said, you know, he was a very handsome, tall man. She said, why, that would be very nice. She took his arm. He walked her to her room down the hallway, and he said, as I was escorting Doris down the hallway, I thought about the way I had escorted my daughter Nancy down the aisle at her wedding, and he treated Doris with dignity and with respect and with love, as if she was a person of worth, because she is a person of worth. He took her to a room. He took her over to the bed. The nurse got her in the bed. Dr. Kirkland took her hand, gave her a kiss on the hand, said, Doris, I hope you have a great night of sleep. And she said, thank you, Brian. I will. And I appreciate your escorting me. Dr. Kirkland walked out of the room. I might have wanted, or maybe you would have wanted to avoid that situation. See, nobody probably would have noticed if the woman was yelling and swearing in the hallway, if he had gone the other way. But he went into the situation. You know what? He's the salt of the earth. He prevented a situation from decay. How many times in your family or your neighborhood or an office building or a church are people in conflict with one another and, and they may be saying something that they shouldn't have said and the situation's decaying by the second. But we have an opportunity to be the salt of the earth, to change that environment, to change that situation. And instead of it putrefying and decaying and spoiling and getting worse, we could make it better. Have you ever been in a situation where someone came in, it's a volatile situation, and they throw kerosene on a fire and make it a lot worse? But have you also seen people who walk into a tough situation where it's decaying by the second and they pour water on it and they make it so much better? What kind of person are we? Are we the salt of the earth? Are we preventing our precious world, God's precious world, from decay? And the third thing that Jesus wants the salt of the earth to be is the salt of the earth are healing agents. See, salt has a medicinal quality. In Jesus' day, obviously, there was no CVS pharmacy and Rite Aid. And if you had a sore throat, you couldn't go out and get some Listerine and, and get, get your sore throat fixed with gargling. But you gargled with salt water, and the salt water would make your sore throat better. 
They cleaned medical instruments in the ancient Near East with salt water. They would clean them and they would purify them because salt had a healing quality. People brushed their teeth with salt. I've spent a lot of time at the Dead Sea. In fact, a highlight every time I take pastors or lay people to the Dead Sea, they want to float in the Dead Sea. It's often called the Salt Sea because it's got such a high percentage of salt. People get in it and they float. You really don't swim in the Dead Sea. You float in the Dead Sea. The salt makes you rise. But do you know there's all these mud baths and skincare products of all that mud that grows right by the, the, the sea, of the Dead Sea, and people take that mud and put it on their faces and they use it as a skin cream. It is a healing quality to their face. And you know by the Dead Sea, I've seen this with my own eyes, they have salt rooms. You can go in a salt room and you pay $35 to go in the salt room for 10 minutes and you breathe in the salt. Now they give you a bottle of cold water also, but you, you're breathing in the salt. It's apparently good for your lungs and good for your skin and good for cosmetics. Salt has a healing agent. Our world is in such desperate need of healing. We're divided as a people, as a nation, as a world. There's so much disease. So much violence, so much harm in our world today and the deep divisions. But, you know, there's always been divisions. Many people think today that we're the most divisive time in history. But let me just remind you from history that there's always been divisions. The key is how do we handle the divisions? Do we handle the divisions by disagreeing and being disagreeable? Or by disagreeing and treating people with dignity and respect if they've got another point of view? You know, years ago in 1858, when Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas had their debates in Illinois for the U.S. Senate, they had seven debates. You know the famous Lincoln-Douglas debates. But it was so interesting that a pro-democratic newspaper reported it saying, Lincoln was so terrible in these debates that his followers had to carry him out in disgrace. The pro-Republican paper said Lincoln was so brilliant that his people carried him out on their shoulders saying that he's going to be the next president of the United States. But there were these two different points of view. But the key is not that people disagreed. It's whether or not we're disagreeable when we disagree. Abraham Lincoln is an example of somebody who was the salt of the earth. Abraham Lincoln seemed to call everybody to be and to do their very best. He called us to rise above the fray to be the very best they could be. In his second inaugural address, it was only five and a half minutes, but in five and a half minutes, he transformed the mood of our nation. In that address, he called everyone to remember that people in the North and the South have both shed blood and their blood is red. He called people to remember that both people in the North and the South read the same Bible and they both pray to the very same God. But he also said, neither side's prayers are fully answered because the Almighty has purposes for things that we don't know. Abraham Lincoln was like our pastor for our nation. It's like he called us to a better place to realize that not all of our prayers are going to be answered the way we want them to be answered, but he was calling us to be and do our best, to be the salt of the earth and put our nation first. And, and then Lincoln, with a flourish, ended that second inaugural address. In five and a half minutes, he did all this. He, at the end of that inaugural address, it was so wonderful. He said, and with malice toward none. 
and with charity toward all. Let us finish the work that we have started to bind up our nation's wounds and to heal our land. Lincoln was the salt of the earth. We need leaders today in churches, in society, in government, in every sphere of life to be the salt of the earth. We need Christian people like Bill who will seize in life, like Dr. Kirkland who will be a preservative, like Lincoln who will be a healing agent. We need people to be the salt of the earth. But did you notice at the very end of that text today that Jesus issues a very stern warning? (laughs) And the warning is this. If salt loses its flavor... The only other thing you can do with salt is to put it down on the ground and trot on it. In other words, what he was saying is salt also has a quality that it can kill things. You put salt in that ancient world on grass and weeds and plants and it kills them. And so what what Jesus is saying is if you don't fulfill the purpose for which you were created to be seasoning and a preservative and a healing agent, the only other thing you do with salt is put it on the ground and you create a path with it. You kill the grass, you kill the weeds, you kill all the plants, and you create a path, you create a road. But God doesn't want us to be doing that to be killing things. God wants us to be life givers and salt and to be able to bring out the full flavor of the world around us. I wonder my San Marino friends, where God's calling you and me this year, 2022, to, to be the salt of the earth. Maybe it's in our family. Maybe it's in our office building. Maybe it's on a board in which we serve. Maybe it's a group with which we meet. I wonder where God's calling us to be salt. Maybe it's in an unlikely place. Our grandson, Nathan Toole, is a student at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina, and Nathan's a wonderful student. He wanted to play basketball, and he's a great basketball player, but it's hard to play basketball at Duke, so he found some other things to do. And he, he realized that inner city Durham, North Carolina, had a lot of poor people in it. When he researched it further, he realized that they couldn't have a basketball league on Saturday mornings because there weren't enough people to coach. The, so many of the kids grew up in single-parent families raised by a mom or a grandmother, and, and there was nobody to coach these teams. So Nathan started a program with another young man at Duke called Coach to Inspire, and they got 30 students from Duke who love basketball, men and women, and they trained them to be basketball coaches. And they started these little rec leagues for kids 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, and they, they started this Saturday morning rec league for basketball, and dozens and dozens and dozens of kids signed up for this. It was a wonderful thing, and, and I, I went to see Nathan as coach, coach a little eight-year-old team, and it was amazing to see the joy, and these stands were packed as all these people were playing ball with one another, and, and Nathan was right in the middle of it coaching his team, and It was interesting to me that actually Nathan and I were the only two Caucasian people in that gymnasium. It was just very interesting. But anyway, when the game was over, one of the other people came over to me and said, you should have seen your grandson last Saturday. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, Nathan's team was was winning a game 12 to 11. These are not high-scoring games, 12 to 11. At the very end of the game, the coach, the referee called a foul, and a kid from the other team sank two free throws and uh, our team lost 13 to 12. Apparently after that game, the boys were all in tears and they were eight-year-old kids and Nathan gathered them around and he put his arms around them and he told them how proud he was of them and he said, you know, you're not only great basketball players, but you're good sports and so you did your best. That's what I want you to do and you're good sports. But now I want you to go over to that other team and I want every one of you to shake their hands and tell them they played a good game. 
And all these kids went over and they shook everybody's hand and told them they played a good game and, and Nathan told them how proud he was of them. But then Nathan went out to his car to drive back to the Duke campus and one of the fathers of the kids on Nathan's team was yelling at the referee in the parking lot <laughs> for making a bad call that lost the game. And he was swearing at him and yelling at him. And actually, he even took a swing at him. And here's the referee and the father, these guys in their mid to late 30s, they're kind of facing off in the parking lot, almost ready to have a fight with one another. And Nathan's 20 years old at Duke University, a, a junior in college, and he comes out of the, the, the building, and here's, he's confronted by the referee and a father of a kid in his own team, and they're having a fist fight out in the parking lot. And Nathan goes out and goes right up to them and says, hey, 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 guys, cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. And the father said, but, but coach, uh, the ref made a very bad call. And Nathan said, so what that he made a bad call if he did? I'm trying to teach your son not only to play basketball, I'm trying to teach him teamwork and sportsmanship and character because life isn't always going to go his way and the referees are not always going to make the call he wants them to make and things aren't always going to go his way. But if he doesn't learn to respect the ref, how is he going to learn to respect you? And how is he going to respect the police? And how is he going to respect his teachers? And how is he going to respect the leaders of our country if he can't respect the ref? And things aren't always going to go his way. But I'm trying to spend my Saturday mornings not only teaching basketball, but I want to teach sportsmanship and I want to teach character. So I want you two guys to shake hands and go home. And they did. They shook hands with one another and they both drove off. I'm so proud of that kid. He's the salt of the earth. And so are you. Don't ever forget it. Amen.